The Kindled podcast is brought to you by Prenda. Prenda can help you start and run an amazing micro school. For more information, go to prenda.com. There, there shouldn't be a split between letting your kids do something autonomously and loving them. And to, to pretend that there is, is as if you're saying children should be Velcroed to you for the rest of their lives. And I think one way to show them that you trust them is to let them do some things on their own. Hi, and welcome to the Kindled Podcast, where we dig into the art and science behind kindling the motivation, curiosity, and mental well-being of the young humans in our lives. Together, we'll discover practical tools and strategies you can use to help kids unlock their full potential and become the strongest version of their future selves. podcast. Hey, Katie, I am so excited about our guest today. Can you tell us a little bit more about who we have coming on? Yes, I'm super excited. Today we're interviewing Lenore Skenazy from Let Grow, and I'm going to read you a little bit about her. After her newspaper column, Why I Let My Nine-Year-Old Ride the Subway Alone, created a media firestorm, Lenore got the nickname America's Worst Mom. Seriously, Google it. She went on to write Free Range Kids, the book turned movement. Lenore has lectured everywhere from DreamWorks to Microsoft to Harvard Med School and the Bulgarian Happiness Festival, which I had never heard of. On TV, you may have seen her on the Today Show, The Daily Show, or on her own reality show, World's Worst Mom. <laughs> I think that's so funny. Now Lenore is co-founder and president of Let Grow, the nonprofit promoting childhood independence and resilience. She lives in New York City with her husband and beloved computer. Her children are gainfully employed, thank goodness, and for the record, she used to write for Mad Magazine. So I thought that was interesting. Let's jump into our conversation with Lenore Skenazy. Welcome, Lenore. We are so excited to have you on the podcast today. So we would love for you to tell us a little bit about, I know you don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, and like, why do you do what you do? So um, hopefully in a, in a nice little sound bite, when our younger son was nine, he started asking me and my husband if we would take him someplace he'd never been before and let him find his own way home by subway here in New York City, where we live. And uh, long story short, I said, yes. <laughs> and one sunny Sunday, I took him to Bloomingdale's fancy schmancy department store where he hadn't been before. I left him there. He knew I was leaving him. It wasn't like, where's mom? And didn't have to go to Lost and Found. Uh, but he did have to find the subway, which is right underneath Bloomingdale's. And then he took the subway down a couple stops. Then he took a bus over to our apartment and he came home levitating with pride. And I wrote a column about it because back when, not so long ago, there were more newspapers back then. My, my newspaper that I wrote for is actually out of business. So I wrote why I let my nine-year-old ride the subway alone. And two days later, I was on the Today Show, MSNBC, Fox News, and NPR, uh, a, a wide gamut there, I'd say. And uh, I got the nickname America's Worst Mom because I had to keep defending why I would have let my son do something without me in the big city underground, um, you know, where the giant spiders roam. And so I started a blog the weekend after all the brouhaha and I called it free range kids. And I said, I love safety. <laughs> I love helmets, car seats, seat belts, mouth guards, extra layers, you name it. Uh, you know, everything. I, I travel with a little safety, you know, a little first aid kit. And yet I still think that kids can do a lot more on their own than our culture is letting them do. I remember my own child, it was so different from this. And uh, then I wrote the book, Free Range Kids. And then about five years ago, uh, Jonathan Haidt, who wrote The Coddling of the American Mind, 
and Danielle Schuckman, who was the longtime chairman of FIRE, which fights for free speech on campus, were talking to each other. What's happening? Kids on campus seem very fragile. They need extra mental health services. They need trigger warnings. And there's something that seems unhearty, unresilient uh, about them. Uh, rather than trying to worry about this on campus, why don't we fight it when the kids are younger? Is there anybody who's trying to raise more resilient, can-do kind of, you know, I don't know, confident kids? And uh, John said, yes, let's talk to Lenore. I loved free-range kids. And so they came to me. And when we brought in Peter Gray, who's a specialist in the importance of play, who I'm sure you guys know, the four of us started Let Grow. And it's strange that we're still the only organization out there doing this, but our goal is to uh, promote independence and uh, by consequence, resilience in young kids. I've heard the phrase free-range parenting, right? So is it a parenting approach? How do you define free-range? Like, what does that mean? And what are some common misconceptions people have about it? You'd think, you know, considering the nine-year-old is now 25, you'd think, oh, she's answered this question before. She must have a nice pithy response to what is free-range parenting. Golly, um, to me, it just seems like trusting your kid a little more, maybe remembering your own childhood and channeling some of that through to your own children. It's not a technique. It's not how you get them to eat broccoli. It's not today you're going to have them go three feet from the house and tomorrow it's five feet from the house. And then, yay, on the weekend, it's 17 feet from the house. It's I'm, I'm too, I'd say, easily bored and bad at following instructions to give other people instructions. It's like, come on, it's so obvious. Just do it. It doesn't matter. You don't have to do it perfectly. Oops, even this. So it's really just a, um, it's a mindset that is really cynical <laughs> about our culture that says, hmm, why are we being told that everything is dangerous? Why am I being told I have to buy this, have to do this, have to read this? How come everything is framed in terms of safety? Even things that are all really safe have to be safer. <laughs> Who is benefiting from a culture that tells kids never to trust anyone? Uh, it just is, it's me. <laughs> I mean, shh, don't tell anyone. It's just my mindset is what I'd like to um, have sort of go out there. And and only because I feel like, not because I'm raising the world's greatest kids, but because I feel like I've, I've sort of got a little bit of distance from a culture that is really set to drive parents and kids crazy. Well, your mindset is really influenced the way I parent. So I live in a neighborhood, I guess you could call it like suburbia and, you know, tree line sidewalks and we have a grocery store right next to our house. So I literally can see it. And my kids have been going over there because they go to the self-pay. So they don't have to talk to a cashier. They go to self-pay. Um, they enter my phone number so they can get the discount. And they've been doing this since they were probably like seven, eight. And the looks I get from parents, I'm like, I can literally see the grocery store from my house. And the first time, actually, we didn't even give permission. My son just came home, was so excited. I thought he was outside playing. We have a park right next door. And he's like, I bought my own pack of gum. And I'm like, well, we don't have gum at the, at the park. <laughs> so where did you get this gum? And he was so proud of himself. And so it's just been part of our culture that they're just independent, you know? So why do you think it matters if kids have independence and autonomy? Let's talk about your son. Okay. Let's, let's talk about myself. What was he feeling when he came home? What was that? That was like, oh, I did my homework. Was that what he was saying? Was he saying I had a boring day? Was he said, mom, you don't trust me at all. Boys, things, things are so dangerous. Mom, please stand next to me. Was that what he was saying? 
No, not at all. He was beaming, beaming with pride that he bought his own pack of gum. Because that gave him a sense of... Independence. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what I was hearing Adrian say too. It just was like, he was excited. He interacted with the world. He did it without permission, which meant that he didn't think he was going to get in a lot of trouble and maybe that he was ready and maybe he thought maybe my parents aren't quite ready yet. So let me show them who I am. And um, you guys have, uh, you know, an educational background. You've heard of something called the internal locus of control. Do you talk about that every time? Preach, sister. Preach it. Katie talks about that a lot. (laughs) All right. So uh, I'll just hand it over to you, Katie. Explain what an internal locus of control is. You want me to for real? I want to hear it from you. But an internal locus of control is just that you feel like out of all of the powers in the world, the the a, a great power is your own agency to act in the world and that you can make a difference and that your actions are like that your circumstances in the world are a direct result of your actions instead of like all of the powers outside of me acting on me. Pretty good. Yeah, I, I agree with that. For the most part, I always, you know, that's not everything is up to us. So even if you have an internal locus of control, you can still have, you know, bad things happen to good people. It's not just because you were bad that bad things happen. But but for sure, it's the sense that internally I am in, you know, me, inside me is what controls my life. And it's not just the outside circumstances. I'm not just a victim. I'm not passive waiting for things to happen. I, I like being in the driver's seat, Right. And an external locus of control is obviously the opposite. It's the feeling that somebody else or other forces, other people, other stuff is determining, you know, how your life goes. And a strong internal locus of control is highly correlated with, duh, feeling, you know, confident and excited and ready for the world. And an external locus of control is what I would define as anxiety, because, What's anxiety? Anxiety is feeling like there's stuff out there that you can't handle. And if you tried it, you'd be hurt and that would never end. <laughs> right? So what, what what's your son's name, Adrian? Or are you allowed to say on on, on your blog here? Yeah, on, on this? Name, I think he's okay with it. His name's Nolan. <laughs> Nolan. Oh, that's a cool name. So so there's Nolan, you know, exercising or building or discovering, I don't know what the word is his internal locus of control because he wanted some gum and he made it happen and he was proud, not ashamed. And that's what we want for our kids. And what I keep hearing, I mean, I keep hearing such strange things and having heard them from so many different places, I I must believe that this is true. I hear from teachers in different parts of the country. And in fact, one from Bulgaria (laughs) who told me that in their classroom now, when a, when a kid's pen drops on the ground, they sort of look at it. (laughs) Like, like one teacher told me that, you know, as if they're like waiting for it to jump back up, (laughs) that's an external locus of control. Right. (laughs) And there's something strange about this passivity that seems preternatural. I mean, it's like, nobody is that passive, are they? But they are. And then I was just at a school doing, um, I'll tell you about what they were doing later, but talked to some of the kids and the kids were afraid of really things that aren't that scary. Like, you know, if you make toast, you're going to burn down the house. Or if you walk the dog, the dog will get off the leash. It was like they'd become little experts in catastrophizing. And I don't think everyone always used to think that way. I don't think adults used to think that way. And I don't think especially kids used to think that way. And 
Nolan was not thinking, what if that somebody knifes me at the self-checkout center? You know, what if I get run over by a Mack truck in the, you know, half a block to the store? So there's something very grim about our current culture that is particularly, you know, strong in parents because so much of the information that we're given is about keeping your children safe to the point where you never think they're safe doing anything. And you have to fight that. And the only way I've seen that you fight it is by actually giving your kids some independence and seeing them do some things on their own and getting the feedback loop of, oh my God, look how great that was. Or, oh, he did that. Or, oh, she got lost, but it was still okay. So, so in a culture that's taking over our minds, you have to break through with action. And that's what Let Grow is dedicated, is to, to making it easy, normal, and legal to give kids back the independence that then builds our confidence in them and their confidence in the world. I love how you use such a powerful language around like your action. You have to do something to fight this because years ago when I first learned about Let Grow, I had my, my oldest was probably like four and I had like a two-year-old and a baby. And he, we were just driving in the car quietly and then he chimed in with this little four-year-old voice, mom, I feel like the world is scary. Like that it's a scary world out there. And I was like, oh shoot, we got to change that quickly. Like you're already at four, like beginning this, like I've somehow like given you the, with my too many be carefuls. It's not you. It's not you. It's the culture. It's the culture. Yes, it is culture. But I mean, at four, he's not in preschool. Like I'm homeschooling at this point. Like I am like his world here. And I'm like, Maybe it was just a little window into like, oh, like I am, even though I think and I, I even though I think I believe like in independence and all of these things, it's like I bet in my language and how I treat him am a little too like, don't climb that or don't don't do that because it makes me like I don't want to have to deal with you getting hurt. And so I'm going to be super constricted. Yeah, <laughs> it is a mess. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. And when you said get lost, that reminded me, my oldest, his name's Vaughn. And whenever he, it was his first time on a dirt bike. So he was used to do it. We go camping in the middle of the woods, you know, with no, not at a campground or anything like that. And he was used to doing this loop on a bicycle. Well, the first time on a dirt bike, he took off and then he was gone and our truck was stuck in the mud. So we couldn't even go and find him. And we're in the middle of the woods. I mean, there's wolves and bears and it's not, not just like, you know, people with, with knives. <laughs> that would terrify me. The word woods was enough. He lost me at woods. <laughs> <laughs> he lost me at woods. But what was really cool about what ended up happening, well, first of all, everyone that was camping heard about it. The people with side-by-sides, just community really came together to go look for him. And also, so he ended up stalling the bike. And what he did though, instead of just sitting there and waiting for someone to come rescue him, he took his boots off and just started following his tracks back. He was going to walk back. I mean, he was a couple of miles away. And so I was like, even though, I mean, it was terrifying and it was like the worst two hours ever because we had no idea where he was. We also, I feel like, wow, he has, he's resilient, like the word that you used and he's able to figure things out. And so just sit there. And then I would love to tie this into attachment as well, because you said the word trust. And so I think sometimes when people hear free range or, oh, you just got to let your kids do things, then that means that you don't have this like strong attachment with your child, but that's very different than what we're talking about. Right. <laughs> oh, he's lost in the woods. 
oh, what's for dinner? Yeah, you know, really. I'm sure he'll find his way back. And if not, that wolf got a delicious meal. You know, that that's not actually me. What a strange um, recognition. So, you know, I feel like my mom didn't have to protest. I love her, even though I'm letting her walk to school. You know, I mean, there's, there's, there, there shouldn't be a, um, a split between letting your kids do something autonomously and loving them. And to, to pretend that there is, is as if you're saying children should be Velcroed to you for the rest of their lives. So, you know, I think that you can be very attached to your kids. And I think one way to show them that you trust them is to let them do some things on their own. And then sometimes you're too worried, but it happens spontaneously like it did with actually with both your kids. <laughs> hmm, what does this tell us? But they both did something on their own, proved how competent they are, impressed you, came home <laughs> willingly. And then that builds this wonderful attachment. Of course, they're going to come home. And of course, you're going to let them go because that's what happens in this family. You trust them. They go. They come back because they're not your lap dogs. And they're not your little teacups to put in the, the break front and never take out. Uh, sometimes I think of the analogy of bonsai trees, which are beautiful and perfect and, and trimmed and never grow into the big you know, oak trees that they could be. But... I don't think there's any um, any contradiction between being attached to your kids and letting them go. So let's talk about let grow a little bit. I'm wondering if you've seen over time like a change in parents' attitudes about this, like giving your kids more space to figure things out, do things independently. Like you've been having this conversation for decades now, and I just want to know, like, what are you seeing, you know? So this has been a very fulfilling year, really. Like, how old is she? This year was great because of a couple of <laughs> big hits that we had. Um, one is Peter Gray, who we write work with, um, wrote a big piece in the Journal of Pediatrics. You can't be too radical a nut job and get something in the Journal of Pediatrics. And the title of his piece was The Decline in Children's uh, Independence and Mobility or something like that. Basically, The Decline in Children's Independence and the increase in um, childhood anxiety and depression. So I feel like that was a stamp of approval, finally, from the pediatrics world that something has been going wrong, that kids have become so anxious that we can't ignore it anymore, and that it's quite possible that the culture that has been changing so radically, the culture that let me walk to school at age five and is letting your kids you know, roam around at seven, eight, or nine, has become you know, the point that nobody lets their kids do anything, maybe, you know, mass incarceration of children is not good for their mental health. So, so that was one big hit. And then I had a piece this year in, um, actually just in September, two months ago in the New York times, co-written with a psychologist who had done an experiment, seeing if giving kids more independence would actually impact their diagnosis of anxiety. He, he did a study, uh, with four, children who had a diagnosis of anxiety and the treatment that he gave them, normally he would do cognitive behavioral therapy. He's a, he's a trained psychologist and a professor, but instead he just told them, you know, what new things would you like to do on your own? He called them independence activities. And they were supposed to do one a day and some did, and some did a little fewer, but they all did independence activities for four weeks. And all of them had their anxiety levels go from worried most of the time to worried a little bit of the time. So, 
tiny study, but a tiny rigorous study done and, you know, publishable and a PhD um, dissertation was written on it. And just today, before this podcast, we were doing a webinar with him and we had, you know, 1200 people have gotten his manual, uh, his independence therapy manual, which is free and all the stuff we do is free. So it feels like um, we're gaining a lot of legitimacy that obviously eluded me when I was named America's worst mom. And, and yet it's still hard to, to, to get enough. <laughs> you know, I want all the schools in America to be giving kids this independence, you know, we call it the let grow experience where each month they have to do something new. They choose what it is. Their parents have to approve it, but they do something new on their own, whether it's making breakfast or walking the dog or climbing a tree or going to the store because it's free. <laughs> and there's a big problem in America, which is this anxiety and depression and this seems to impact it. Even if it doesn't, it's not hurting anybody. And so why isn't everybody doing this already? That still is taking. My, my world domination plan is take is stalled, right? It's taking a little longer than I would like. Well, I have a question about all of the policy work you do. Like in when you've said the mission statement of Let Grow, like you're trying to make it legal. So like what are the legal battles you're fighting around, like allowing kids to be freer? What do you see on that front? Sometimes when I say, oh, everybody should just let their kids do like what Adrian's kid did, you know, walk over to the store. Uh, people write me, I'd, I'd like to, but I'm worried about somebody calling CPS, Child Protective Services. And I realize it, it happens rarely, but it happens. And that shouldn't be, that shouldn't happen ever. <laughs> I actually, I don't even care if somebody calls. I, I care what happens when the operator takes the call. It should be that you see a child outside. Well, are they, you know, bleeding? No. Are they uh, dazed? No. Do they have a hypodermic needle in their arm? No. Okay. Well, is there anything wrong? No. They're petting my dog, and uh, <laughs> you know, they're they they love my dog. It's like, okay, I, really. One guy called nine one one. I listened to the call, and he was talking about two kids petting his dog, and and CPS still got involved. So it should be that CPS goes, oh, so there's nothing wrong and these kids are by themselves. Would you ask them what they're doing? It's like, what are you doing? It's like, we're playing and now we're going home. They're playing and then they're going home. Okay, well, thank you very much. You know, wish them a good day and thank you for being a vigilant citizen. That's where it should end. And in eight states now, that is where it ends because eight states have passed what we call the Reasonable Childhood Independence Law with our help. And it says neglect is when you put your kid in serious and obvious danger, not anytime you take your eyes off them. Because in many states, and still too many to this day, the neglect law is pretty fuzzy. And it says something like, parents must provide proper supervision. Well, I agree, but we might have different ideas about that. So let's make sure that the baseline is, are you putting your kid in serious, obvious danger? Because if you're not, then it's just a question of what you feel comfortable with, what I feel comfortable with, depending on my neighborhood, my kid, my background, everything like that. And uh, the next state that we're trying to uh, work in is California. So if any of you are in California or um, would like to be involved in this, or especially if you have a story or, um, you know, write to me. I'm Lenore, L-E-N-O-R-E, at letgrow.org. And I'm sure I'll put it in the show notes. But it's been great in, in several of the states where we passed our law, we had bipartisan sponsors, and in four states, we had uh, it was voted in unanimously, and that includes Utah, red state, Virginia, who knows, I'd say yellow orange state, and in Connecticut, where it's a blue state, and one other state that I can't remember that was some color. Um, in any event, 
it, it's, a, it's a pretty popular law across the political spectrum because it helps the free range moms who want their kids to, you know, go get a donut or quinoa, whatever they want them to go get. And then it also helps the, uh, you know, a single mom working two jobs. She can't make it home at three o'clock on the dot. And so she knows that her seven or eight year old is ready to come home and, you know, do a little homework and TikTok or whatever. And, and that's not that's not against the law either. So it makes free ranging um, legal, but also poverty is not illegal. Poverty is not neglect. It's if you're if you're making it work the way you're making it work and you're not putting your kid in obvious serious danger, then more power to you. And we wish everybody luck. I think that's a really important call out about poverty. I just, when I was reading something you wrote a while ago about that, I was like, I've never thought about that before. And I, that's just a really good point. So thanks for making that. Yeah, no, we've heard of, you know, some, some bad stories of parents accused of neglect or abandonment. It's like, I don't, I don't think leaving my kid at the park to play is abandonment. <laughs> you know, abandonment is you leave them at the park to play and then you never come back, right? But knowing that your kid is going to have a nice day at the park. I live right next to a park and I have four kids of park playing age and they're out there all the time. It's like an extension of our front yard. And so I have been, you know, on my front porch, I'll leave the door open or whatever, but I'll have like a, a few kids playing out there and I will just see strangers walk by and look at them. And I'm watching the stranger look at my kid and they're thinking, Where's the this person's adult? This person's clearly too tiny to be out here by themselves. Some adult is being neglectful. And then like, I'll just, you know, stare them down pretty much. And <laughs> they'll eventually see me and then they'll just be they'll, like, point at me and walk away. And I'll just be like, thank you. And one time I was in my backyard though. And my two or three-year-old was like in like by the gate or something. And someone came from the, from the neighborhood through my garage onto my property, into my backyard to tell me that my, my two or three-year-old was like in my garage. I'm like, yeah, I can literally see him, but thank you. Like, and off, please get on my property. Like, this is weird. Anyway. So it's, it's very real. And I think it's well-intentioned often. Like if I saw a young child, like, you know, right. That's the thing. I, yeah. You can't assume the worst. There's a balance, right? Dangerous things do happen. I do have to say we have a park that's like an extension of our yard as well. And one, my kids were always there after school playing. And the one time I had a migraine, I was in bed. I woke up to gunshots and this is not, I mean, I grew up in an, an environment that that was more normal. That is not normal in the neighborhood that I live in. And I wake up, but because I had a migraine, my neighbor took the kids to the library that day. And so, but yeah, a gun was shot. It was like a young kid who I, we don't even know what the, there were lots of stories in your park, just right in front of my house. We caught it on our security cameras. Oh my God. They said it was like a drug deal gone bad or something. Again, they came in from like somewhere else. I mean, it was a whole thing. However, I didn't go, okay, my kids are never going to the park. You know what I mean? Like it just, it happened to happen. We were able to talk about it. Like when they came home and the, you know, our streets were blocked off and cause bad things still do happen. <laughs> and so it's not like we're living in this bubble. It's still real world, right? But we were able to talk to our kids about it. And then we were able to put safety things in place and it never happened again. What'd you put in place? What would you do about that? So we make sure that the neighbors around um, know like that they're playing at the park and then they do have like a gizmo watch or like a watch that they, you know, can call and then just being aware of their surroundings. And we have a really good group of, they're mostly moms in a Facebook group and they'll like message if something's going on or, you know, just kind of, but we want to allow the kids to play like free, but then there are still eyeballs that are, that are helping. I think that's a great point to make, which is that 
in community, there's, you know, there's not only safety, there's trust amongst each other and you're looking out for each other. I mean, that's one of the things that people often say to me. It's like, oh, back in the day, you know, there were all these moms around and they, you know, took care of everybody. But you can you can create that. I mean, you can create that with a next door group or a WhatsApp group or whatever you want. And um, you can even if you're if you feel you need it, you can have I'm I'm Monday afternoons from three to five. And, you know, Katie's Tuesday afternoons from three to five or all our kids are going to have Friday afternoons off. This is a John Hyde idea. He loves the idea of, you know, free play Friday or freedom Friday or free range Fridays where it's like just don't schedule your kids for that one afternoon. And that way there's a, a big enough group of kids to be playing together that it's fun for everybody. And also we all feel safer. So there's no sense in, you know, going it alone. You, I think growing with a group is great. Yeah. And helping, I love Let Grow's materials and the content you put out because it helps rally the troops around this idea because we all have different approaches to parenting. And I've found like yesterday at the park, we were having a very free range day yesterday and there were bombs at the park. The kids were doing something and like we were all having like a little mom circle conversation, like, should we stop them from doing this? And I just said, no, because I'm interviewing Lenore Skenazy tomorrow. <laughs> yes. So we made the free range choice. And what were they doing? What were they doing? And what did, what, what was the upshot? getting soaked and muddy and like messing with some sprinklers. Like they were not in any sort of danger. It was just like, they're having so much fun and they're maybe being a little disruptive or like, you know, they weren't breaking the sprinklers or anything like that, but it's just like, are we going to intervene here? No. Why would we pull them out of this? Like just sheer engagement and like, you know, this flood of fun and community and friends, like we could easily be the moms that are just like, stop getting wet. You know, it's like, we don't, it's fine if you're wet. Well, we're in Arizona where it's warm. It might be a little different in New York City where it's cold. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arizona. Wait, so so one of the things I try to explain is that what you were seeing is something you normally wouldn't have seen, right? So you wouldn't have had to make that decision. Do I jump in? Do I say, be careful, Carter, or use your inside voice or any of these things? And I really believe as simple as this is, one of the keys to giving kids back the confidence and the autonomy and the problem solving and the resilience that we want to see in our kids is not being where we can see them. <laughs> they, they have to be outside of where we can help them, watch them, grade them. And so, you know, you got to let them go. And so it's easier when there's a group, I'd say, like you were just talking about, like maybe the free range Fridays. And, you know, people are always saying, you know, is the problem, Lenore, that it's, you know, everybody gets a trophy culture. And I'm like, problem is that the parents are there to give the trophies. I don't care if people get trophies or not. There shouldn't be anybody involved, so involved in their little games of kickball or baseball that we're giving them anything or preparing their snacks or telling them what to wear or, you know, keeping score, right? Or, or deciding the team. Basically, kids are so primed to play and to make things happen. And there will always be some tears and some arguing and some downtime when they're just pulling pieces of grass out of the ground, or I guess dirt, if you're in, you know, I don't know, lizards, if you're in Arizona, but that's part of childhood. And when there's an adult there, we try to optimize things. So it's like, that's wasted time. Oh my God, they're just pulling clumps of grass out. Kids are born with the drive to, um, to play and also to explore and also to grow up. And 
the drive to play was put there not so that they'll have perfect soccer games, right? The drive to play was put there so on their way to playing soccer, they have to decide fair teams. And they have to decide what to do with, you know, Jenny's little brother who, you know, is going to cry and have to take Jenny home if, you know, if we don't come up with something for him to do. And whose turn is it to get the ball? We don't have a ball. Okay, let's use Jenny's little brother. That's bad. Let's use a can or whatever. So all these decisions and compromises and creativity and pivoting all the maturity of accepting the fact that you're on the team you don't want to be on or that you're going to go last all this stuff is what mother nature wanted us to develop all these skills these real world get along skills how to read the crowd if nobody's liking this i better come up i better not keep cheating right <laughs> no one will play with me and when adults are there we get straight to the fun because we think that there's this wasted time and then there's something rich and important, which is the fun. But I'd say, just like we found out that the gut biome was as important as anything else, you know, it's like, what? The, the, the creepy stuff in our intestines is important for our health? It's like, yes. It's like, well, the, the weird, wasted time, boredom, arguing on the way to fun turns out to be more important in some ways than the fun itself. Adults have a hard time seeing that. Adults are good at getting past that because they've already gone through childhood and learned how to do all this. So that's why we can't be with them because like me too, if I'm there and I see them arguing or I see somebody being mean, you know, I will jump in to solve it, but that doesn't solve it. That just cauterizes the problem. And then the kids haven't learned all, you know, all we're talking about is problem solving. They haven't solved any problem because we're there solving them. So we just can't be with them. We literally can't be watching them because then we will want to jump in. We must be separated from them for some part of their day for them to develop the the skills we want them to have. Or even if we don't jump in, it could cause them to not be as free. I feel like what we end up doing too is just delaying the development of becoming self-reliant. Um, and so I told Katie, like, even though I know it's so good for them and they are, it's a lagging skill, they need to develop these skills. Kind of like what you're saying is like, we already went through that and we already have these skills. They don't. That's why it's loud. That's why one time Katie said the path to brain maturation is really loud and messy. And I remind myself of that all the time. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, their brains are maturing. I take notes too. The path to brain maturation is loud and messy. Wait, and there was something else I was thinking when you were talking about that. What was it? Oh, I know what it was. So in terms of like lagging in these skills, there's these three professors at Georgetown, uh, professors of psychology at Georgetown University, who are really interested in whether American kids are getting their independence so late that they're not doing what like sort of nature or the brain intended from about age know, seven to 12, which is also when, you know, they spurt up and then things get a little slower from seven to 12. And the theory is that's when they're doing everything else. They're just absorbing information and, and, and exploring and playing and, you know, getting in fights and, and making up and coming up with great ideas and, and taking little risks like even, you know, whether it's going to the store for gum and maybe your mom will be mad or taking out your dirt bike, whatever the little risk is. And, and that these are, these serve to calibrate your riskometer, your internal riskometer. It's like, oh, that was a little too far. Or, that was scary. Or that was scary, but it's exhilarating. You know, I climbed up high in the tree. 
you know, how am I going to get down? But wait, look, here I am, you know, like a squirrel in the, in the clouds. So their theory is that if you get it, like if you're not doing any of those things, seven to 12, and maybe you start doing them 12, 13, 14, 15, it's a little like learning a language late. It's not that you'll never learn the language, but you're going to have an accent. And they did this interesting experiment where they asked college students in Russia and Turkey, which were sort of the opposites of America and Canada, to rate the danger level of certain really everydayish things like uh, walking to the store or being alone in a cafe. And the American kids kept saying that was all really dangerous. And, you know, kids who came from literally a more dangerous place were saying no. And they'd gotten used to, you know, the Russians at all. And, and this is one of the professors is Russian. So I'm quoting her saying like, you know, we grew up with those, all, you know, crazy drunk people on the street all the time. So we know how to deal with some actual threats or danger. And you don't want your kids to mistake an everyday, even pleasant experience, like walking someplace or having a sip, you know, having a cup of coffee as a dangerous thing. And at Georgetown, one of the teachers, one of the professors was giving the kids an assignment. It was a sociology thing. They all had to go to a different area of the city by public transportation, talk to someone who was not a barista <laughs> and then get themselves back. And a bunch of the kids just refused. They're like, no, this is too dangerous. It's like, well, maybe you shouldn't be in D.C. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe we should just put you in a padded room. So you need to have the the risk. And, and, and I hate using the word risk because risk always sounds risky, but all of life is risk. And in fact, not doing anything is risky in its own right. So it's like you just need to have the real world <laughs> um, to interact with to a certain degree so that you realize like, oh, that was dumb or, oh, I could do that again. And without it, you're left thinking that the whole world is really too much for you, which is an external locus of control. Let's talk a little bit more about free play because we've seen a decrease in like recess and like the time, the unscheduled. Actually, Arizona got a great law. Didn't Arizona get a law passed that there's a like you have to have a half hour of recess, I think, something like that. The law is tragic, honestly. <laughs> I know. I, it's tragic. And also half half an hour. It's like you get half an hour to sleep every night. I don't think that's quite exactly. enough. <laughs> you know? Yes, totally. So what do you think about that? And what are your, I know you work with Peter Gray and he does a lot of play work. Right. First of all, everything that I said before about free play remains true. That when kids are organizing their own game, it will be, what you say, messy and loud. On the other hand, when kids have free play, they run right? When kids are actually not trudging to school, um, they are running to have fun. And it's such a different look. And we all recognize it as something that's glorious about childhood and often missing. So somehow a guy named Warren Lichtenstein, he's a well-off guy, but he also has a, a, I don't know what you'd call it, like a big sports league for kids called Steel Sports. 3,000 kids in a bunch of different states some baseball, some soccer. And they read Peter Gray there. And also they read The Coddling of the American Mind. And I think they read Free Range Kids. Those are like three of our four founders, um, books by our founders. And they decided to do a little experiment, not with their entire league, but with some interested coaches. They decided to make the first 10 to 20 minutes of each practice, not before the practice, of the practice itself, free play. The kids could have five balls on the field. They could turn the goal upside down, and they did. They could play with their noses instead of their shins, whatever. I don't know what they're playing. But the point is, 
they did this and a couple of things happened. One is they thought that the parents would complain. Hey, I paid for, for you know, you to teach my kids soccer and here they are wasting 20% of their practice just playing. No one complained. Two, they thought the coaches wouldn't like it because the coaches really want to win, right? That's part of how they get to be, that's why they're coaches. I mean, that's not the only reason. Obviously, they like child development, blah, blah, blah. But the point is that those kids were winning, right? Those kids were doing just great. And what they saw really developing was the communication of the team. Like the kids really got to know like how to explain things because there's not somebody else saying, you know, go to the corner or whatever they, whatever coaches say. They were responsible for making things happen. And that um, sort of bled into, it's a horrible word, into uh, the game, the actual games and the actual tournaments. And then they said two things that made me feel sad and happy. After this experiment, now it's all their every single team, every single age starts with free play. And the, as a result, one of the coaches said, one of the head coaches said, you know, and now kids are running to practice. I'm like, hmm? He said, well, yeah, they're running. And I'm like, so they weren't <laughs> before. And, you know, you run you run to something when you want to get there faster and start it sooner. And you walk when you're not that enthusiastic. So so that was interesting. And then the thing I heard most recently, I just talked to the guys again like last couple of weeks ago. And they said that now that they have free play as the first thing at, the, um, at practice, the kids come and they throw their bags down and they start playing. And I said, what was it? what were they doing before? And he said, well, they'd come and they'd, um, they'd sit on the bench and they'd wait for the coach and the coach would tell them what to do and then they would go do it. So once again, free play, internal locus of control. It seems so obvious. They get there because they want to get there. They do things because they want to do things and they're not waiting for somebody external to determine how they spend the next hour. It seems great. And that makes it more enjoyable. We see this and my son does a PE co-op and I think it was last year, all the moms are just sitting under the Ramada talking. We look over and the one mom says, and you know, people say that homeschoolers have no social skills. We look over and these kids are coordinating this really intense, I have no idea what the game was. I think they were making it up, but I mean, older kids, younger kids trying to really like figure out how to create this game, then play the games of the rules kept changing. And some kids didn't like that. Some did. And we were, I mean, we were nearby, but we were pretty far away. They didn't even know we were watching them, looking at them. And it was really amazing to watch just how they were like really getting into it. And then it was time for PE. And I feel like they were uh, more into following the organized, like the rules and the structure of the actual PE class because they got that time beforehand, you know, just to free play. That reminds me of a story. Our, my, my kids go to a print of micro school and um, their guide called me the other day on the phone, which usually we text, but she was very excited about this. She was like, the kids were just in the backyard and they've created some sort of like alternate society, some sort of tribe because they're like digging this giant hole in my backyard with pickaxes and like the digging, like they couldn't agree on how like the worker, I don't know, some, something about how people were being treated in the whole digging enterprise. And so they came in and everyone was mad at each other and they're, they had been studying, they're doing like a American government kind of debates and things like that, talking about the Bill of Rights. And so they're like, we're going to write a Bill of Rights for the digging crew outside. And they like self-organized and actually wrote down like how they were going to govern themselves around digging a giant hole. I'm like, man. My kids dug a giant hole to try to get to our neighbor's house during COVID. 
and they they put um they put wood planks on top so that we wouldn't see it literally like they were breaking out of prison <laughs> oh my god how interesting i mean they were all breaking out they also digging a hole is such a classic thing oh my gosh during math if they're like getting in getting frustrated or something th- these kids will just be like can i just go dig for a minute and they'll go out and they'll just like work out all of their like frustration about math digging this hole with these pickaxes she's like we, we had to have a little bit of pickaxe safety conversation but now they're fine like they're able to manage that but it's just such a good outlet for them to like use your body to do hard work and it's just amazing to be able to give them a spot where they can do that during school, you know? I was wondering, Lenore, do you have any research or information on the connection to academic success, like having independence and this free play? And do you, do we see that it helps with learning? I don't think that we have great data. You know, we did a study on a play club that showed that kids' grades on math went up, but it was not a great study. I can tell you that when kids are doing things like the Let Grow Project, where, so did I explain the Let Grow Project where everybody gets the homework assignment? No, go into it. So there's something called the Let Grow Experience, which is a year-long curriculum. You can do it in a micro school, you can do it at home, you can do it in a regular school, doesn't matter. That's dedicated to making kids more independent. And each month there's a different Let Grow Project, like go home and do something Um, you know, that's responsible or do something for somebody else or do something outside or whatever each month is. But the main, I guess the underlining assignment each month is go home and do something new on your own with your parents' permission, but without your parents. And we give lists of things, but of course the, you know, the opportunities are endless. You can walk the dog, climb a tree, run an errand, make pancakes, whatever it is. And what we've seen in schools when kids are doing the Let Grow Project is just so remarkable in terms of everything having to do with actual school. Like kids who don't like school run up the stairs because instead of talking about math, they're talking about like, I built a raft or whatever. And kids who were maybe not, um, not so good at school have something that they are now um, you know, seen even by their fellow students as successful at. And then a lot of them influence each other. One, like we just heard about a kindergarten class where one kid made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Everybody said, I made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Everyone's learning to tie their shoes because it's, it's not an adult saying you have to do this now. It's freedom. It's like, it's like the tunnel to next door. It's something new that you can do that improves your life that your other friends are doing too. So it makes kids who are unhappy at school or maybe not recognized at school or maybe they have to go home every day and their job is to make grandma her snack and stay with her until mom comes home that the school gets to find out about this and the fellow students too so it's not just who you are uh you know in that classroom it sort of opens everything wide and we've also heard of parents especially parents who might not speak english Context photos of their kids, you know, doing a let grow project like painting their room or making the tortillas and they send it in because they're so proud. And finally, they can share just like the American parents, they can share their kids success there. In terms of like, do their grades go up? I don't know. And, and also, it's like, you know, their grades are going to go up or down either way. But this is like the other part of life, you know, this is the ungraded part of life that is most of our lives because most of our life is not a spelling test. Most of our life is 
making dinner, making a friend, getting ourselves someplace new, dealing with the fact that we got there half an hour late or half an hour early. What are we going to do with our time? I mean, so much more of life is about life than is about what happens in a classroom. And that's what they're definitely getting a lot of experience with is just how do you handle yourself in the world? Yeah. It almost feels like that academic growth is like the metric that everyone cares about the most, like broadly in in society. And so it's like, if you can do something that will move that, people will listen to you. But if you can't move that metric, nobody cares. It's like, well, the metric we're moving is like our kids are running to soccer practice and our kids wake up, wake themselves up and go to school in the morning happily and they come home happily. Like you, you don't give a test or a grade for that kind of thing. It just like infuses every moment of your life with joy and enthusiasm. Oh, that, oh, infused with joy. Uh, it doesn't really matter how they do on algebra, really, you know? I know when I hear people say, oh, my kids are just doing so well at school and they have straight A's. I'm like, wait, how are they doing at school though? <laughs> like, just because they're getting straight A's doesn't mean that, you know, are they liking right. it? Are they enjoying it? Are they learning? There's so much more than just that grade. And even when I was saying like academic success, then I changed it to learning because that's really what, you know, we should be looking at, not necessarily just the grades. There is a good book, though. Um, I don't know if you've read this one, Lenore. It's called Let the Children Play. No, what's that? Who's it by? It's like a big survey of recess laws and things like that. And I I cannot remember specifically right now. I don't know if it's up here. I'll put it in the show notes. But I think they do talk about some of the research behind here behind that. But I cannot pull it out of my brain right now. It's a while ago. But great book. Great read. That's the other thing, too. Look at here you are. You're smart. You have a fact. It's not at your fingertips. Doesn't matter. There's Google. There's asking somebody else. So the idea that you have to be like, oh, you flunked that test. You didn't know the author. It's like, doesn't matter. I did find it. I did Google it. <laughs> it's let the children play. How more play will save our schools and help children thrive. It's by Posse, P-A-S-I, Salberg and William Doyle. Oh, okay. I'll just quickly tell you about the Lecro Project and the Lecro Experience because I think they can work extremely well in micro schools because I think they can work anywhere. Basically go to letgrow.org and you click on the button, like tell me more about the Let Grow experience. I think we give you like a, a little teaser or something, which is nice. You get to talk to our schools person about how it works, which is pretty straightforward. But I went to a school um, last week and took notes on what all the kids K through five were doing. And it was just really interesting to me because first of all, it always works. And secondly, sometimes I'm a little appalled and yet it's working. <laughs> and here's a couple ones that made me a little appalled. Okay. So the kids were all telling me what they were doing. This, this kid went to the grocery. That was good. Where's the appalled one? Hang on. You said go to the grocery store. My six-year-old, he's, he's in a Montessori class and tomorrow he's so excited. The whole class is walking to the grocery store and they're going to buy food to make a Thanksgiving meal for the entire school. They are so excited. <laughs> wow. That is fantastic. But I'm sure there's some parents that are a little nervous about them walking across the street, but they're going to have some adults helping <laughs> get them there. There was this study done by University of Michigan that came out uh, last month, asked a thousand parents across the you know across America, across demographics, across everything. They asked the parents of kids age nine to eleven, um, "Would you let your child child go to another aisle in the store while you're shopping?" And fifty percent said no. So having the third graders go to the store go down an aisle without, you know, a bodyguard. That's pretty cool. All right. So one kid, this is a third grader at this school said he learned how to make his own sandwich, which I was like, I couldn't even understand how you couldn't make a sandwich. There's like, it's like there's a bread and there's bologna, whatever. But 
as appalling as that was, he followed it up with, I don't need help now if I get hungry. And that's <laughs> back to the internal locus of control, really internal in your, in your stomach. But, you know, we've sort of deprived kids. It's like an oxygen deprivation chamber that is childhood. It's like we've, we've done so much for them. I mean, this kid more than most has had somebody doing things for him. But you really feel helpless until you do something and you realize like, oh, I can do that too. I remember I, I could never understand how my parents could find the gate at an airport. When I was a little kid, it's like, how do they know where to go? And now I know where to go because I can do it myself. So this kid just didn't know about sandwiches. And another kid, he said he went in the elevator and this is in New York City, so it's a doorman building. It went in the elevator by himself. Okay, good. He'd never done that before. And he said, I learned even if I'm by myself, it will be okay. That's that's an enormous life lesson. And then here's my one that didn't appall me. Where's this girl? For her Black Girl project, she decided to take a city bus here in New York City. And I think she's fourth grade. And she said, um, I felt scared when I'm on the bus. I felt like every stranger was watching me, which you can understand because you've heard that things are scary. You've never done it by yourself. There's always been some intermediary keeping you safe. And she said, but now I am not nervous or I'm not scared or nervous anymore. I mean, those are her words. And that is the alleviation of anxiety. That's before and after, anxious and confident. And we had a psychologist do a study where he used the let grow experience, which he called independent experiences or independent activities on kids with the diagnosis of anxiety. And, and the, I was telling you about that at the beginning. And so why wouldn't every school do this? You can do it. It's, it's both, um, you know, inoculation against anxiety, and then it's a little bit of cure of anxiety, and it doesn't cost anything. It can take class time if you make the kids write, uh, you know, an essay about it, or not take class time if they just come and they've handed in, there's a little leaf you can um, cut out, a little piece of paper that looks like a leaf. It said, I walked to the store, and how was it? It was fine. <laughs> that could be the end of what they do. And the parents are just as excited because now they have a kid that they've seen blossoming and they had no idea. And they're always saying like things like, I had no idea my kid was this was ready for this or could already do this. Or why was I doing so much for her when she was already ready? And I just didn't know. So it's, it's easy, it's free and it's transformative. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. And I love that it doesn't cost anything. That's amazing. So if you are a guide or a teacher and you're looking for a fun project, definitely go to let grow. It's letgrow.com, right? It's letgrow.org.org. But actually the letgrow.com guy, some guy had that website and um, we told him what we're doing and he gave it to us. Nice. Yeah. People are really nice. People understand. People think back on their childhoods and they remember the fun they had or the adventures and then they look at what kids are getting today and they get that there's something quite diminished and they want to build it up again. And that's all we're trying to do. We're just trying to make it easy, normal and legal to give kids back pretty much the childhood you had, right? I mean, that's it. It's, it's pretty basic. I love that. And speaking of your childhood, or I guess could be from your adulthood as well, is this is a question we actually ask all of our guests as we wrap up. So who is someone who has kindled your love of learning, curiosity, motivation, or passion? Well, my book, my free range kids book is uh, dedicated to a seventh grade teacher. She wasn't even my seventh grade teacher, but she used to take junior high students, which are what they now call middle school students, 
on archaeological digs in the southern part of Illinois, where there's actually not a lot to find, as we discovered, as we dug and dug and dug in the boiling hot in the middle of a soybean field. Only time I ever had to take salt pills in my life. But when we came back to civilization, the suburbs of Chicago, she had a couple of us go around to like garden clubs and give talks about our digs. And she just she just believed in me and trusted me. And, and she told me I'd have a boyfriend someday. There was zero evidence that that would ever happen. I dedicated my book to her because she believed in me before I believed in myself. And I think we all have people like that in our lives. And if we want to be that to our own kids, we have to let them go. I love it. We'll end right there. Thank you so much for coming on the Kindled podcast. We've really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, you're welcome. This was fun too. And um, I like stories. In fact, if I don't get stories, then I have like a tree falling in the woods. So if you do the Let Grow experience or project or whatever you want to call it, please email me and send me a picture or a story, you guys especially, because that's how we grow the idea. We really just want to make it normal again to let kids go get gum from the store or lost in the woods. I love it. Awesome. Okay. Thanks so much for coming. Yes. Thank you, Lenore. That's it for today. We really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. It was so much fun to have Lenore on. I love that she just speaks her mind and just whatever comes out. And I think it allowed us to be a little more relaxed too than like, you know, our typical interviews. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if it was helpful to you, please like, subscribe, and follow us on social at Prenda Learn. And if you have a question, all you have to do is email us at podcast at prenda.com. That goes right into Katie and my inbox. And you can also join our Facebook group, which is called the Kindled Collective. And we also have a weekly newsletter called the Sunday Spark. The Kindled podcast is brought to you by Prenda. Prenda makes it easy for you to start and run an amazing micro school based on all the things we talk about here on the Kindled podcast. If you want more information about guiding a Prenda micro school, go to prenda.com. Thanks for listening and remember to keep kindling.